Hello and good afternoon. Welcome to We're Talking Golf, where we discuss many of the important golf topics of the day, as well as bringing you guests from around the world of golf. My name is Douglas Maida, and it's my pleasure to be your host for the show. In today's episode, we're going to meet an incredibly delightful woman. She is a former star on the LPGA Tour, having played for over 25 seasons. When she played on tour, she became a household name to many that followed the tour. She has also been inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame in her home state of South Dakota. In addition to her playing career on the LPGA, Chris Cheddar has become an author and now a professional businesswoman. Her book was one of the very last books written about the golf legend that is Ben Hogan. She shares her stories and experiences of being a member of Shady Oaks Golf Club, being the home club of Ben Hogan, and how Mr. Hogan befriended her, sharing time on the range, hitting golf balls, and talking about life in general. We are very excited to have Chris Cheddar join us today to talk golf, her life after golf, and of course, a little bit about her friendship with Mr. Hogan. But before we get to our very special guest, we need to stop for a very brief message. For players who don't want to sacrifice beauty, Honma's Bares Aizu combines stunning artistry with performance. Lightweight, easy to swing, and handcrafted on the coast of Japan, Bares Aizu evokes a sense of pure awe and confidence, all while being technologically the best equipment for your game. With Bares Aizu in your bag, you'll experience the pure pleasure of golf. Treat yourself at a local retailer or shop at honmagolf.com. Hi, we're back. Thank you for staying with us. Now let's get right to our very special guest, Chris Cheddar. Thanks for joining us, Chris, and welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to be here. I, I feel very special being called a special guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to tell it as it is here. <laughs> Thanks. So, Chris, um, you're a former professional player on the LPGA. Uh, it's been a few years now since you last competed, and you're now actually on the Legends Tour. You're also a member of the from South Dakota and a member of the South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Well, I grew up in South Dakota and I loved growing up there. It was a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, just great people. Um, but what I really loved was I was able to do other things in the winter. Uh, I my Probably, I mean, if I could have done that, this for a living, I probably would have because I loved it. I, I did ballet in the winter and then golf in the summer. Um, and it was just, it was a great way to grow up. Nowadays, it's like kids have to pick their sport so early. And I don't think that they get a chance to experience a lot of different things as much. So um, I really appreciate that that I did. Whereabouts in South Dakota do you call home? Uh, Sioux Falls. Okay. Is that anywhere near Mount Rushmore? It's actually on the opposite side of the state. Sioux Falls is the largest city in, in South Dakota. It's about 160,000 now. Uh, when I was growing up, there was under 100,000. Okay. Okay. It's one of the places I've got on my bucket list is to get to South Dakota and see the area and it's Mount Rushmore. Beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. The western side of the state has the mountains and, and it's really, 
really, really beautiful out there. I mean, I love the plains. Don't get me wrong. I love being able to see the sunset and over the over the plains. But uh, you know, mountains, oceans—they're all—they're pretty nice too. <laughs> the plains uh, are. We used to have a bit of a running joke with some of our friends from the prairies or the plains, as they call it. Um, yeah. About the fact they could sit on their porch and watch their dog run away from home for three days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a little flat on the eastern side of the state. <laughs> okay, enough of the bad stereotypes. Huh? <laughs> Chris, tell us a little bit about being inducted into the South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. Obviously, when you probably set out to play golf and, and going to college and university, that probably was nowhere near on your radar. But I, It was actually a complete surprise to me because, um, I mean, it was quite an honor uh, to to be amongst the many people in in that hall of fame um so i was i was actually really surprised but uh i appreciated it <laughs> was it uh, a little bit of a ceremony and uh, something to yeah. that effect yeah now now who organizes that is that done at the state level or is it done by an actual separate body entity that looks it's after done sport at the state level oh okay Wonderful. Wonderful. Excellent. So you got a chance to go home and uh, see a lot of friends and family. and Yep. Which I always look forward to getting back to South Dakota. I was actually just back there in December visiting my mom and we got 16 inches of snow in 24 hours. So I got my full taste of South Dakota in uh, right, right after Christmas. <laughs> the full experience of winter. Yeah. <laughs> Chris. Looking back now, it's been a few years since you've last competed on on tour, um, on the LPGA tour. When you look back on it now, does it seem somewhat surreal? I loved playing golf on tour. Um, I actually played a tournament. Let me think about this. I I played a tournament. A couple, actually, I played three tournaments on the LPGA in 2021 because I wanted to get ready for the uh, U.S. Senior Women's Open. So I, I went out and I embarrassed myself out on the LPGA, <laughs> played with those young kids again. Uh, but it was great. It, and, and I ended up playing well in the, um, in the Senior Open that year. I finished six and was low American um, for that tournament. So I felt like it was it was worth it, but it was it was fun. I I I love going back and playing with these these young kids. Um uh the last day that when I played, I played at Kingsmill and I on the last hole I hit the cart path and rolled, you know, down the cart path and ended up having the longest drive on on that hole. These people had been out driving me by about 50 yards. <laughs> And I was like, what are you guys doing way back there? And they're laughing at me and kind of having fun with it. So it was good. Yeah, I, I guess you can say watching the tour over the years that it's kind of evolved. And and the ladies game now is starting to get a lot more of the power game that's been in the men's tour yep. now for about a dozen, two dozen years now. Yeah, those those kids are good and they can hit it a long ways. Yeah. How about you? How's your tee shots? Are they still somewhat... Uh, Distance-wise as to what you had when you're playing competitively? You know, no, not anywhere near. Um, and in the last probably two years, my hands have gotten pretty arthritic. 
And I can, I have trouble actually gripping the club with my right hand anymore because none of my fingers, the only finger that bends on my, on my right hand is my pointer finger. So it's made, made it a little more difficult. Yeah. But yeah. you know what? I got 50 years out of this game. So there I no complaints here. And yeah. I can still play. I just can't play quite at the level I would like to. Right. Right. Because other than that, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. Um, I've had both my hips replaced, but they're they're good now. So um, other than the hands, I feel pretty good. Wow. Was the hips kind of uh, related to golf in a way, or was that just something completely unrelated? It, it was a little bit related to golf. I'm super loose jointed. And so I had trouble with injuries my whole career. And what happened is because I was so loose jointed, I was having a lot of movement in my hips where I was swinging and walking. And so I wore down some spots in my hips and got them replaced. And now they feel great. Well, that's wonderful news. Yeah. When you play golf, do you still walk at all or do you? I guess I, I, I do. I do. But I got to tell you, I mean, I used to laugh when people would say, oh, I'm going to go out for a walk for exercise or this is, you know, I'm going to get some exercise walking the golf course. I was like, really? You know, and now I'm one of them. So I I apologize to everyone I laughed at back in the day. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, truthfully, though, because I'm so loose jointed, I I was more tired out walking every day, you know, because my my ligaments and my tendons don't really do the job that they're supposed to do my muscles were what what had to hold a lot of my you know my shoulders and my back and everything in place so i was pretty tired at the end of the day when i when i played on tour anybody who says that getting a cart in golf is not an advantage i think is wrong i think it's a big advantage well, I, I bet, especially as you're coming to the last stretch of six holes or so. Yeah, on the last day, you know, four days in a row, and actually it ends up being six or seven days in a row, just just one week. And there were times where I played on tour, I played four or five tournaments in a row and was playing every day, you know, Whew, I don't think I could do that now. Uh, speaking of which, um, do you have any favorite memories from your time on tour? So many. I mean, like I said, I, I loved being out there. In my first year, I, I lost my card. I had to go back to tour school. And I knew that I needed to get better because I wanted to be out there and I wanted to be out there for a long time. And um, I went back home, fortunately, you know, was able to qualify and get my card uh, my at my second attempt and you know then I didn't have to go back to tour school again but I just when I think about my time on tour I think about the people that I met along the way you know just I still have friends that that I met um you know my first second third year on tour um that I still keep in touch with families that I stayed with um I played in the the pro-ams in Toledo last year, and I stayed with this family that I had stayed with, like the son. I stayed with the son. I stayed with his parents my first year on tour, and it just kept in touch all these years. Uh, so that's what I think about the most. Um, the one 
tournament really that comes to mind is the the first tournament I won with Billy Andrade. Uh, we won the mixed team. And I think that I, that has such a sweet memory for me because it was part of a team, you know, like we, we got to celebrate together and uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. Has it kind of surprised you that uh, there ceased being a mixed team event like that for so long? Yes, because it was a great event and everyone loved it. And, the you know, not just the players, but the crowds. I mean, it got it got really, really good crowds. So I keep I'm I'm hopeful that they'll bring it back because it really was popular. But, you know, it's just the seasons have gotten so long on both the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour that it's it's hard really to find another week to, you know, where everyone is available. Yes, I did read somewhere, though, that. um the LPGA and the PGA have agreed to putting on a uh, a co-sanctioned event. So it'll be oh, a bit good. of a team event again. Good. I like it. Now we just need to get the Legends and the Champions Tour to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, there you go, right? Yeah. Uh, when you were on tour, I mean, nowadays, when we're talking with a lot of the players, they're always talking about having their friends are there their friends are the players you know they have a group of players that they play with or you know uh see week in and week out that are considered part of their their inner circle or their circle of friends if you will yeah i mean it's your neighborhood those are the people that you're thrown together with you know most of the year so that's something that uh was quite common in your day as well yeah definitely um you know you had your closer friends i played Tons of practice rounds with Cindy Rarick. We always had a game. <laughs> so I look back on that. And that, those were some of the most fun times where the, just the Tuesday practice rounds and wanting to beat her and her wanting to beat me just as much. <laughs> oh, that's a great way to keep it fun and light. And Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you have a favorite tournament? I mean, on the tour itself? Like, I mean, just well, sanctioned by the LPGA? I really loved Toledo, but I loved it. I loved it because I love that golf course. I think it's a really good golf course. Um, but I stayed with that family that just, I looked forward to seeing them every year and therefore loved that tournament. Um, another tournament that I think about that really sticks out was the, well, it was the Nabisco Dinah Shore. Um, and they've just moved away from that golf course. But again, I loved that tournament because it was such a great tournament. They they did, you know, just first class every everything about it. Um, and it was a great golf course. I love that golf course. It might be one of my favorite golf courses of all time. Oh wow. Wow. High praise indeed. Yeah. Uh Toledo. Now that was the Kroger slash Jamie Farr classic. It was, I don't think it was ever Kroger. It was just the Jamie Farr, uh, Dana sponsored it. Um, but mostly it was just the Jamie Farr classic and to the city of Toledo, a lot of different businesses put money towards it. Okay. So it didn't have one sponsor. I see. I see. Uh, coming back to, uh, to the Dinosaur classic. There's been some discussion. Was it, in your opinion, as a veteran player looking back now at the history of the Dinosaur and what it's meant to golf, was it a good move, do you think, in your personal opinion, about moving it from Mission Hills and now going 
to Houston with a, (laughs) you're laughing. (laughs) No, I don't think it was because I think that that, I just love that golf course. I would, if I was out there playing now, I would be really disappointed to move from that golf course. I'm sure they'll be at another great golf course. There's lots of great golf courses, but that one just has some history that I hate to see go. Would it be fair to saying that it was kind of like, it would be kind of like men's golf no longer holding the Masters at Augusta and moving it somewhere else? Those two tournaments were, I I mean, Augusta is Augusta. That's, you know, that's kind of in a class all by itself. But those two tournaments were sort of brother-sister tournaments. You know, you qualified by your performance. Um, Ours was a little bit easier to get in. You had to finish first, second, or third in the tournament to get invited to the Dinosaur. I had the pleasure of playing with Dinosaur one year and what a what a great memory that is. She was just a neat neat lady, so down to earth. I loved loved playing with her. Right. Yes, I remember seeing many a time her on TV promoting the event and Yeah. You know, and you see Dinosaur holding a golf club in her hand and <laughs> Yeah, she loved her golf. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. This will be the first year that it's being held uh, in Houston, so we'll see how well yeah. that uh, goes well, over. They'll make some new traditions there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you about the LPGA today. I mean, it's obviously a lot more. I mean, is it a fair assumption on my part to say that it is a far more international flavor to the tour now than it was when you were playing? Definitely, and uh, you know, I. I I'm appreciative that I was played in the LPGA when I did, because I think now it would be very, very hard to have a family and and play as internationally as they're playing now. Um, when I was playing, we had the the full schedule here, and then if you wanted to play out of the country, you know, we would go to Japan and Korea. You could, but but it didn't hurt your standing if you didn't. So as a mother, um, I would have found it really hard to have to go to those tournaments when my kids were young or, you know, nowadays. Gosh, I just saw something on Twitter where they were showing. Did you see it? They were showing where these guys were flying. And I mean, there's not one tournament that they can drive to. Even even there's a couple of tournaments that would be close, but they're not playing them back to back. Right. I think the so, only one that comes close is uh, when they come back from Europe to play the CP Women's Canadian Open uh, here in Vancouver. And yeah. then the next event is in Portland. And that's about, yeah. I think, it's as close as it gets. That's about it. Yeah, it's crazy. That would be really, really hard. Um, you know... I'm 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 thankful I played when I did. Although the money's a little better now, <laughs> <laughs> I saw a but tweet. The players are a little better too. <laughs> yeah, I saw a tweet by Karen Stupples who mentioned that you know when she was playing that there was still the time where she could take an RV and drive yeah. to the events. <laughs> yeah, I I put something out. I was like that little different than the days when I was driving my Econoline Ford van. <laughs> Uh, was the Arcana line uh, set up so that you could had sleeping quarters in it as well? Oh yeah, it was had it had everything. I had all my shoes, I had all my clothes, I had a nice little bed. Like it was, it was nice. 
<laughs> uh, I and spent now it's... many a rain delay out in my van. <laughs> <laughs> and this is in the days before such thing as the internet and an iPod. Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> had to listen to the radio. <laughs> and hopefully you had a good station coming in. Yeah. <laughs> But that was another thing. There were actually radio stations that we would get to a city and we're like, oh, God, remember that radio station? And we'd find our favorite radio station in each city. Now I'm really aging myself. <laughs> if you were, say, commissioner for a day, what are some of the things you would like to see addressed? Well, it doesn't have to be oh. for a day, but you get the idea. Yeah, I, you know, I mean... That's tough. I it's it's not an easy job. Can you imagine trying to please 180 women <laughs> or 180 men for that matter? Um, no, it's it's not an easy job, and I I I don't think I'm in any position to second guess what they're doing. Really, okay. I, mean, I think it's it's a hard job, and and they're they're doing pretty well. Okay, fair enough. Fair comment. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we want to get into the topic of your life after golf. So we'll chat a little bit about why you stopped playing or when you stopped playing. Um, one of the other components I'd like to chat with with you is about becoming an author. Okay. And, and then uh, maybe a little bit on your Legends Tour and some of the things you're doing today. Okay. All right, so we're going to take a little break and we'll be back in a few moments, so please stay with us. For players who don't want to sacrifice beauty, Honma's Beres Aizu combines stunning artistry with performance. Lightweight, easy to swing, and handcrafted on the coast of Japan, Beres Aizu evokes a sense of pure awe and confidence, all while being technologically the best equipment for your game. With Beres Aizu in your bag, you'll experience the pure pleasure of golf. Treat yourself at a local retailer or shop at honmagolf.com. Today's show is being recorded from our studio in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We are produced by the World of Golf and you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.worldofgolf.org or on our social media channels of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and now on LinkedIn. We are proud to announce that we're talking golf has been recognized as one of the top 40 PGA and LPGA golf podcasts to follow. Thank you for listening and downloading our show. With your support we have become a podcast show recognized for its contribution to golf. Now, back to our show and our very special guest, Chris Cheddar. Here is Douglas Mader. Hi, welcome back and thank you so much for sticking with us. Now let's get right back to our special guest, Chris Cheddar. Chris, you stopped playing on the LPGA, uh, what is it, about uh, 15 years ago now? Well, so a little more? 20, 2011 was my last, was my 24th year on tour. And I actually, I wanted to play at least one tournament in 2012, just to say I had 25 years. And I accidentally got bit by our cat. And I ended up with a bone infection in my finger and never got to play a tournament that year. And at the end of the year, I was playing with a doctor and he said to me, and I, it was bad. I had to have a, I had to have an operation. I was on intravenous antibiotics for like three weeks. 
And anyways, I was playing with this doctor and he said, well, you're lucky. I said, I know I could have lost my finger, huh? And he goes, you could have lost your hand. And I went, well, I'm glad I didn't know that when I was laying in the hospital. <laughs> but uh, I did end up getting my 25th year in, in 2019. Oh, wonderful. So, wonderful. Yeah, so I played, I played one, uh, two tournaments in 2019 and a couple in 2020. And then I think three in 2021. Ah, wonderful. Wonderful. So what ultimately led to your decision about stopping to play? When did you, was there like an epiphany saying, you know what, it's time or? Yeah. I mean, my kids were getting older. Um, my career, I was really fortunate, you know, when, when I had kids, they are, we didn't have as many tournaments, so I wasn't really having to miss tournaments. And then as the, as the, as it built up a little bit more, um, I was starting to slow down and I just, I just wasn't competing at the level that I wanted to compete at. Um, I still enjoyed being out there, but I, I didn't enjoy not playing well. <laughs> so it just, kind of got to to that place where and my kids were older and they didn't want to travel as much and it just was kind of time and i was i was really thankful that i i i'm telling you i loved playing golf on tour i loved it and it would have been really hard for me to stop if i hadn't had kids you know they gave me something to you know that i wanted to be home for too so um, it was just time. I'm thankful that we have the Legends Tour. I I love playing in those events. Uh, you know, it's just a handful of events every year, but you know, gives us gives us a chance to get out there and compete, and it's it's fun. So, in the first few years after retirement, what was life like for you? It was good. It was good. I was um, you know, doing some some. I started a charity that I was raising money for um, veterans and I was just spending time doing that. My kids were, you know, at the age where they needed me to be there. And I was doing a lot of driving and picking up and, you know, just, just kind of being mom and, and being home and taking care of family. Did you, if you were to say, look back now at your professional career, is there anything you would have done differently? I would have uh, taken injuries, like taken a little more time and tried to heal from injuries rather than playing through them. And why is that? Just because you felt I like you never think, got back to? Uh, yeah, I just think that I I made injuries last longer by by continuing to play and not play well. <laughs> you know, like when, when you're injured, it, it really is difficult. And I kept thinking, oh, you know, I can play through it. And looking back, you know, at the time I made the decisions with the information I had and looking back, I, I just wish I would have um, taken a little more time with them and, and gotten back to playing better uh, after the injury. Well, that makes sense. But it's that, yeah, 2020, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. Let me switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about, now, as I understand it, uh, you met Ben Hogan in Texas at Shady Oaks. Yeah. Uh, was now, this is the part I'm, I'm fuzzy about. Was it while you were attending TCU? Yes. Okay. Why don't yep, you tell us was... about that little period and, and how it was that you came to, to, uh, meet Mr. Hogan and, and, uh, 
that part of your life? Really being in the right place at the right time. Um, I was a freshman at TCU and my brother Mike was also going to TCU and we'd heard that they, uh, Shady Oaks was sort of doing a membership push and they were doing junior memberships. They were only $750 initiation fee to become a junior member. Um, the hard part was finding a sponsor, you know, someone that would say, yeah, you know, this person's okay. We will let them in the club. Um, so anyways, we, it's kind of a funny story. I was out hitting balls at a, a park and all of a sudden, you know, cause, cause we didn't have the TCU didn't have a practice facility. And all of a sudden this woman like just came out of nowhere and she goes, excuse me, I'm sorry, but do you have a gun? And I'm like, you know, no, I don't have a gun. And and she tells me that she's been followed and there's this car over here and, you know, she's really scared. And so, you know, good South Dakota girl, I go, well, here, get in my car and I'll take you wherever you need to go. I look back on that and think that probably wasn't the smartest thing, but, um, you know, got her to where she needed to go and lived to tell the tale. And when I told my brother the story, he just looked at me like, what were you thinking, Chris? Like, she could have been in a, did you think about this? But then he said, oh, but you got to tell dad that story. <laughs> and so when I told my dad that story, he's like, that's it. We're getting you that membership at Shady Oaks. You're not going to be out hitting at that park anymore. <laughs> So that's that was the tipping point that that got us in Shady Oaks. Um, and when we became members there, everyone told us, you don't talk to Mr. Hogan. If he wants to talk to you, he will, but you leave him alone. And so that's what I did at first. But then I realized I was saying hello to every other man that walked by, every other member. And then I would see him and I'd act like I didn't see him. And finally, I, I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm just... I'm just going to be myself. And so I, you know, I didn't, wasn't intrusive, but I would say hello, or I'd wave at him. And I think he just saw how hard I was working and how much I loved the game. And he started taking an interest and, and he would stop and give me a little tip here, there. And, you know, I don't really remember Exactly. But it got to the point where anytime I would go out to Shady Oaks, I would drive by the grill where I knew he was and I'd just wave at him, let him know I was there. And he would always come out and, you know, watch me hit. And then he started practicing again. He started getting his clubs on the cart and his shag bag and he'd come out, he'd watch me hit a few, he'd go to where he was going and he'd hit and then he'd come back and you know, that was just like what we did every day. You know, I mean, right the, place at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you know, anybody who knows anything about Mr. Hogan will say that is um, probably one of the things that most people would have loved to have done. Just well, and most people would have been asking him questions like, do you have a secret? Um, you know, is there anything what general questions about golf? But I was asking questions about my swing, my golf, and probably that is why he trusted me because he, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't asking him any, you know, I didn't want, I didn't care about his secret. I cared about my golf game. So, right, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask him, I, you know, we talked more 
it was more personal stuff. Like I really got to know him more as a person. I really cared more about that than than the right. golf. Well, of course. I mean, that's and so it should be. Yeah. Now I just look back, you know, because it's so legendary how we always used to be. He was renowned for his practice regimen. Well. And I hear stories now about how people would watch him for hours and not say a word. And I think, oh, my gosh, you know, like I couldn't hit a shot without saying something. I I, I was constantly talking. And, you know, even like if he was hitting or if I was hitting, I'd hit a shot. And what do you think about that one? How'd that look? You know, what'd you have for dinner? What, you know, like, I mean, I never there was never silence when when we were together. And it was banter. It was back and forth. He had this really dry, funny sense of humor. And, you know, just like we were always teasing each other. There's a story in the book where he, I called him, I guess, from the U.S. Open. And, you know, I hadn't played well. It's probably my second year on tour and I hadn't played well. And he's like, well, what are you doing out there? Are you lollygagging? I'm like, yeah, maybe a little bit. And he's like, why well, you need to go out there and you need to do this, this, and he's giving me everything. And I'm on the other end and I'm laughing because this is how we talk to each other. Right. And so we hang up and I go do my thing. I come back to Shady Oaks and, and he comes up, I'm getting a drink at the, a, a Coca-Cola at the bar and and he comes up and he goes, did I insult you the other day? And I said, I mean, you insult me every day, but nothing out of the ordinary. He goes, well, Valerie didn't talk to me all weekend. She said I was mean to you. <laughs> and I'm like, no. And, and, and he goes, yeah, she was really mad. She said that I was mean to you. And she tried, she, she was trying to find me. Like she called the golf course and was trying to find me. She was thinking I was like crying in a corner or something. And so I, I was like, no, no, it's you, it's fine. And then I'm looking at him and I go, do you need me to call her? He goes, could you please? <laughs> and so I called her and I was like, Mrs. Hogan, uh, if he didn't talk to me like that, I would think he didn't love me anymore. And she goes, well, I know that, you know, you know how he can be, but I was just so worried about you. <laughs> well, perhaps that's the greatest compliment that uh, could be played or paid is that, you know, he, he treated you like one of the family or one of the boys or, yeah, you know, or yeah. one of the group. <laughs> yeah. There was another one where I said he would always order bean soup and bacon. And I said, Mr. Hogan, that will give you high blood pressure without missing a beat. He's like, you give me high blood pressure. And I think that he would say things like that to people and people would just be like, oh, my God. And they, you know, they just didn't know what to say. And I just I just saw his sense of humor and just would laugh at him. So you knew which table was his at Shady Oaks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He had a table and a chair and he was always in it. And everyone was nervous when they were coming down nine or 18 because both those greens were, you know, like right between his table was right between those greens. Everyone was choking on nine and 18. <laughs> just just the thought that he might be watching. <laughs> what was your most memorable experience um, in? Uh, with Mr. Hogan, yeah. Well, gosh, I mean, we had a couple of dinners that were really fun, you know, just getting to spend time with him, like with my my family and his family and, you know, having dinner. But I guess 
um, when when the U.S. Open was played in Fort Worth, I would tease him and say, you know, are you going to come out and watch me play? And he'd say, oh, of course I'm going to be there. And I and I knew that he wasn't. I knew that, you know, it was really just banter. And I I knew that he would not come out because he was just such, you know, he was shy. He didn't like the, you know, people seeing him and wanting something from him. And so it was really just banter. But, you know, we did talk a lot about the golf course because we were playing Colonial. We we're playing the U.S. Open at Colonial. And so, you know, I would pick his brain about the golf course. And um, I think during between like the second and third round, I went back out to Shady Oaks and, you know, he came out and watched me and, um, you know, helped me and stuff. And I played well. I was I think I was maybe playing in the second or third from the last group the last day. Um, and again, like did not expect that he would come out, but what happened was on the back nine, I started pushing because, you know, nothing was happening and like, a like as a rookies do, we, we push a little bit and I made a couple of double bogeys. And so I kind of shot myself out of contention. And I think after I made a double bogey on maybe the 10th or 11th hole, he turned to his wife and he said, I I want to go out there. And she tried to talk him out of it. You know, like it was hot. It was, you know, 95 degrees with 95% humidity. And she knew that he would, you know, people would want his time and attention. And, but he felt like he needed to be out there on a day that I was not successful. Like if I had won, he wouldn't have come out, but because I was having a rough day, he wanted to be there for me. And that really meant a lot. Wow. Wow. And colonial too. I mean, one of the courses known as Hogan's Alley of all the. (laughs) And, and then what was really funny. So I saw him on the 16th hole. I walked off the 16th hole, walked to 17 and I saw him and I was like, Oh my God, you know, and I went and I gave him a hug, which again, like, that is the last thing he would expect anyone to do, you know, like he kept his head down and would have kept walking, but not me. Um, and he respected that. Like he knew that I was very different from him, but, uh, anyway, so I gave him a hug and I walked to 17 and my dad was caddying for me and my dad was standing on the tee. And he said to the guy, one of the caddies in the group, he goes, that's Ben Hogan over there. And the, the guy's like, no, it's not. <laughs> and my dad goes, no, it is. And and he wasn't wearing his regular Hogan hat. He was wearing just like a, you know, like a suit coat hat. I don't know what it's called. Um, he had his glasses on. I mean, he didn't look like Ben Hogan. And my dad goes, I'm telling you, that's Ben Hogan. The guy goes, you are crazy. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't believe him. So my dad finally gave up. And then he waited for me on 18 when I walked out of the scores tent and, you know, I went up and kind of talked to him and somebody took uh, some great pictures of it, uh, which I'm thankful for. I've got a really nice picture of me hugging, hugging him and standing there kind of talking and laughing with him. So that was fun. And then the caddy finally believed my dad. (laughs) (laughs) But up until that point, Nobody knew that I knew him because I didn't tell anyone about it. There were very few people that knew that, you know, Mr. Hogan helped me with my golf game and and that we were friends. 
I just didn't tell people because a, they, they usually didn't believe me. If I did, they looked at me like I was lying basically. And so, you know, I just never really talked about it. And then all of a sudden he was at the tournament and, you know, it was like the cat was out of the bag. <laughs> Jeez. And a U.S. open, you know, he's still, I think the, uh, the player with the uh, most U.S. Open victories. Um, yep, yep. And probably should have had that fifth. <laughs> yeah, he definitely should have. He, he, it still bothered him. <laughs> I know. I read that. I'm. I could see how it would bother him too, because you know. Yeah. I think I share some of the similar thoughts that he would have too. And it's like, well. <laughs> I, yeah, the metal you know, looks exactly the same. You put in the time, effort. You beat the same players, but it's just not quality U.S. Open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dear me. Um, when you look back on it now, does that not feel very surreal that you spent time in knowing one of the uh, legends of golf? Yeah, it's crazy. I was so lucky. And he, you know, he was just such a, such a good man, had such a good heart. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that he let me see that side of him that he didn't let many people see. Yeah. Yeah. Let me touch on that for a bit, because you've seen and experienced a side of Mr. Hogan that kind of runs counter, at least in his earlier part of his career, yeah. you know, where he was known as the Iceman or, you know, or the uh, uh, the Hawk and, and you know, um, as being a, a man who suffers, you know, doesn't suffer fools gladly kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and and then reporters having that kind of standoffish relationship with him early in his career. And then you've kind of got to see him the total opposite. What are your thoughts about that? Does that? Well, I mean, I think that he was just very, very guarded. And I think that, you know, his true inner self was the man that I knew. Um, as he, as his memory became worse and worse, he became, uh, you know, much kinder and softer. And so um, that felt to me like that was really his true person. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, when you wrote the book, um, I'm trying to remember now, I believe he had already passed away when you wrote the book. Yeah. Yep. Was that a conscious decision on no, your part I, or just kind of like things never. happened that way? I never planned on writing a book. I somebody got me at a weak moment. My father, he's always, you know, he was always well, a lot of people would wanted me to write the book, but I am not a writer. And it, I didn't I really didn't think I had enough memory because it happened every day and and you know, when something happens every day, there's not a lot that sticks out. And so I was like, I don't really know if I have enough to write a book. But what I did was I talked to people that I knew at the time, and they relayed stories back to me that I had told them at the time. So like my handful, you know, like all these stories I had that I would tell to people they that was their one story so they remembered it 
So here's an example. There's a story in the book about where we're standing on the 18th, near the 18th tee hitting balls. And this group comes up and they're, you know, I'm bantering with them. And Mr. Hogan's standing there like, enough already. Let's get back to work. And, and you know, we, whatever, we go on. And, and I put this story in the book. It's one little anecdote. And when I wrote the book and I, somebody had told me that story. They told me about how, you know, they were playing and this is what happened. So I put it in the book. And when I wrote the book, the guy sent me an email. He goes, I'm pretty sure that that story is about me, that that happened, you know, to me. And I'm going, yeah, you told me that story. (laughs) So that was, you know, I would tell my dad stories or my roommate and, and, we all, you know, remembered those. Um, and then I I also found a recording of about a half an hour of one day where I was out hitting balls. My brother was recording my my swing and he just let the camera run when Mr. Hogan came up. And there and this this just shows you how funny he was. I probably used 10 anecdotes from that 30 minute recording of funny things that he said that I put in the book and they're word for word, you know, what happened. And I, you know, I, i spread them throughout the book. They didn't all happen like that one day, but they were examples of different things. Um, I, I wish I, and I wrote down a few things here or there. I wish I would have written down more because the book would have been a thousand pages long of funny things that Mr. Hogan said. Like he was really, really funny. As we start to work towards the uh, end of the show, I want to um, kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, As you can probably tell, I could chat with you about this part for hours. (laughs) As you could probably tell, I could talk about it for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Legends of the LPGA. It's a relatively new uh, tour um, relative well, it's been to. Around, it's been around for about 20, uh, maybe even longer years. But the uh, U.S. Open, it just started. Um, and so now people are hearing about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say in relative terms to the LPGA, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yes. Um, why don't you share a little bit about the Legends Tour and your experience, how often you're competing? Well, it's, we're all thankful to have it because we love, it just gives us a chance to compete. It's funny. It's almost more frustrating to play on the Legends Tour because none of us are as sharp as we once were. But when the bell rings, we still want to be, and we still compete like we're, you know, we should be at the top of our games. So it's it's can be a little bit frustrating at times, but um, it's it's great. It's so nice to see everyone again, and you know it's it's definitely not as you know we all want to win, but once we're not maybe there, then we can just kind of sit back and relax and have fun, and you know just enjoy the fact that we're still playing, we're still competing, and we're still kind of all hanging out together. So it's. It's great. It's it and and I think people like it, you know, like a lot of the people that followed us when we were kids who kind of grew up with us, they still enjoy coming out and and watching us play. 
are you practicing much or is it just kind of in and around certain events? So in 20, in 2021, I, I was, I was, you know, I really like, I played those LPGA events. I really pointed towards the, the U S open that year. And I really, you know, wanted to play well. And then this year, the last year, 2022, um, I started a new business and I just, you know, I was really kind of pulled away from golf. So I, I didn't practice as much and my hands, you know, are not as good as they once were. And so it's just, it's not as much fun to, to get out on the golf course, uh, because I, I feel sort of torn. So, um, you know, we'll see, I'll get some shots of cortisone in at the beginning of the summer in my fingers and see if I can't grind one more summer out of it. So, it's been a few years since you played now uh, competitively on the LPGA tour. Mm-hmm. What's life looking like for you today and, and these days? And and what have you been up to? I, you mentioned your children are, are older now. Um, are they all yeah. moved up university I, age or? Uh, yeah, I've got two. They're the 19. Well, let's see, 18 and 20. My daughter just turned 20. So um, one of them's still in high school and my 20 year old is not quite sure what she wants to do. So she's just working and still living with me and, um, you know, doing doing well, just kind of trying to figure it out like like everyone else. Um, and then I opened a brain balancing office uh, at the beginning of 2021. Is that right? What year is it? 2022, I guess. Um, and it's a very specific type of brain balancing. It's called Siraset. Anybody who wants to check it out can uh, check it out at just Siraset.com, C-E-R-E-S-E-T.com. There's offices all over the country. And I did it in 2019 to help my golf. I was really struggling with the yips. And, um, I had been for a while and I did this brain balancing and I played in Toledo like a week and a half after I did it. And I did not have the yips. In fact, the second day I made five birdies in a row. I hadn't made five birdies in a a week. Uh, and I made five birdies in a row in an LPGA event. So, you know, the course was playing long and, uh, but I felt great. I mean, I wish I would have had this 20 years ago. <laughs> but anyways, um, this brain balancing, I just love it. I mean, I think I'm a healer at heart and I get the opportunity to really help people. Um, most brain balancing is neurofeedback, which means you're trying to affect your own brain. And Siraset brain balancing is very different in that we give you an opportunity. Well, we give your brain an opportunity to see itself through sound. And what that means is we put sensors on your head. We've applied different uh, musical tones to the different frequencies in your brain. You listen to it in real time and your brain recognizes those tones as itself and your brain tries to rebalance and reset and it's amazing 
I mean, when I did it in 2019, A, it helped my golf game, but I had also been through a divorce and I was like, I I had this anxiety that I'd never experienced in my life. I was taking medicine to sleep um, and all of that went away. I haven't taken medicine to sleep since I did brain balancing in 2019. Wow. It was life changing and it can be life changing for a lot of people. It it helps, you know, with mood issues, energy, uh, focus. We're we're doing a ton with people who have long COVID. I mean, there's nothing out there that's helping a lot of these people. And Cirrusette Brain Balancing is giving people their lives back. So it's, I love it. If you can't tell, I love it. <laughs> I love, love being able to help people in such a significant way. <laughs> okay. And they can uh, find that just by typing in a Google search. Yep. Yep. Just Cirrusette.com. And, and I, you know, like as much as I loved playing golf on tour, if I, if I could do either, I would choose to play golf on tour again, but this is a really close second. Like I, I am blessed to, you know, be able to help people and, and bring this to people. Wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Chris, we are at the end of our allotted time. Um, I want to thank you that, um, I know it's been a great show when it's like all of a sudden you look back and say, wow, that went by quickly. (laughs) And it has. This has probably been such a wonderful uh, opportunity to chat with you. And and I have enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. And uh, hopefully we could do that again sometime. All right. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And uh, that's our show for today. And as I like to say, if you happen to be out there playing a round or two, uh, do your best to keep that ball on the short grass. <laughs> Definitely. From all of us here at the World of Golf and We're Talking Golf Podcast Show, thank you for listening. Have a great day. You have been listening to our podcast show, We're Talking Golf, produced by the World of Golf. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. If you have an idea for a future show, please send us an email to info at worldofgolf.org. Please include podcast show in the subject line. This show is the copyright of the world of golf. Thank you for joining us, and good night.